This podcast may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Head over to thecrimeshack.com for all available episodes, merchandise, and show notes, and hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts. There are many ways you can help and support this show. Grab some merchandise on the Crime Shack website. We have tees, hoodies, and mugs, or just simply buy me a coffee. Your support is what keeps this podcast going and allows me to continue to put out more amazing content. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Hello, this is 911. Yes. I, uh, my friend has just been shot. Do you know who shot him? There's a guy lying down like a sniper. A sniper? Did you see him at all? Briefly, we saw the, the gun, and he shot at us like six or seven times. Welcome back to another episode of the Crime Shack podcast. It's been a while, but I'm happy to be back and have another insane story for you. In this episode, we'll be going on a bizarre journey into the twisted world of a couple whose bitter marital and custody dispute took a sinister turn. This case, like so many others in the true crime world, serves as a stark reminder that murder and attempted murder rarely go unnoticed. Justice always has a way of catching up with those who believe they've gotten away with the unthinkable. In this cautionary tale, we'll unravel the intricate web of deception, greed, and desperation that led to a shocking plot that almost ended one man's life. So let's dive headfirst into the chilling tale of Greg Mulvihill and Diana Lovejoy. Greg Mulvihill was born on September 30, 1970, and moved to Southern California in the year 2000. Friends and family described Greg as a mild-mannered, overall great guy. When on a dating site in 2004, he met 33-year-old Diana Lovejoy, and the two bonded over technology and fitness. Their friends recalled that the couple seemed like a perfect match. They were both outdoorsy people and both wanted to settle down and have children. After a couple years of dating, they married in August of 2007 and bought a beautiful home in Carlsbad, California, which is a fairly small, upscale town of about 115,000 people located about 80 miles south of Los Angeles. Over the next few years, they wanted to grow their family and attempted to conceive, only to sadly suffer eight miscarriages. Then finally, after five years, they were able to have a baby boy in September of 2012. But the stress from the miscarriages took a toll on their marriage. Immediately following the conception of their son, Diana and Greg stopped having sex and essentially became like two strangers living under the same roof. They tried marriage counseling, but their relationship continued to decline. Then two years following the birth of their son, Greg lost his job, and Diana became the sole provider. Greg then became the primary caretaker of their son, but they were able to hire a part-time nanny to help out. In addition to being a software technical writer, Diana was a sports instructor and triathlon competitor, 
and ventured into the YouTube world where she would create videos of her working out and creating quick, wholesome meals to eat on the go. I'm Diana Lovejoy, and quick meals are my specialty. I know that you don't have all day. We've got mallows to feed. Welcome to my kitchen, where I really like to cook, but I'm often short on time, so speed is the hook. Although Diana seemed to be doing well with her ventures, friends remembered she was constantly complaining of feeling tired, and they thought she was possibly ill. Diana herself believed that she had fibromyalgia and was convinced her son also suffered from some unknown disease that involved his kidneys. Even though she believed he was sick, she refused to have him seen by any specialists at the hospital and insisted to nurses and doctors that he needed large doses of guaifenesin, which is like a mucinex-type drug. Greg didn't believe his son was ill, and this became a conflict in the couple's relationship. Greg was eventually able to find employment again as a computer programmer, but in 2014, the couple ultimately decided to get a divorce. In July of that year, Diana threw a curveball into the situation and went into the Carlsbad Police Department and filed for a temporary restraining order against Greg, claiming that he'd raped her while she slept and that he was molesting their son. She told the police that when she began having bouts of chronic fatigue, she would wake up groggy and sore in the mornings and attributed that to Greg having drugged her and then assaulting her while she was passed out. At that time, Greg was still living in their shared home, so when he was informed of the restraining order, he moved out and started sleeping in his car. Greg vehemently denied the claims from Diana, and Child Protective Services conducted an inquiry into the allegations. Greg was required to go through numerous psychological evaluations, including being required to see a sex therapist. The results of the investigation found no evidence that Greg had molested the child. Through their investigation, they also discovered that Greg was actually the better parent of the two, and he was allowed to have supervised visits with their son and eventually unsupervised visits. Then in November 2015, a little over a year after Diana obtained the restraining order, the family court revoked the first order for supervised visitation and granted Greg 50% custody of their son. This was not the outcome Diana had hoped for. A month later, on Christmas Day, Diana met up with her aunt, Diana Clark, at a nice restaurant. Frustrated about the recent developments with Greg and the custody battle of her son, Diana told her aunt that she was terrified of her estranged husband and divulged that she believed he was abusing her son. She told her that she would like to find a way to scare Greg so that he'd leave her alone. So she asked her, Aunt Diana, do you know anyone who could do that? Either scare him or kill him? According to Clark, she thought that it appeared Diana had it all figured out, but ended up telling her niece that, unfortunately, she didn't know anyone that can help her. 
In June 2016, Greg and Diana finally came to an agreement on their family home, and Diana agreed she would keep the house and pay Greg his stake of the home, which came out to be $120,000. She was ordered by the court to pay Greg the $120,000 by September 25, 2016, three months from the date of the ruling. During this time period, Diana started to go to a local firing range to take firearms training courses. It was there she met ex-Marine sniper and firearms instructor Weldon McDavid Jr. Even though McDavid was married, the two hit it off and began an affair. As the custody battle with Greg continued to infuriate and frustrate Diana, she would often vent to McDavid about her situation. On September 1, 2016, at around 10.30 p.m., Greg received a mysterious call from someone claiming to be a private investigator. The person on the phone told him that he had evidence that Greg would want to see that could help him in court against Diana and that he would have to go to a specific location within a certain amount of time to buy the information from the investigator. Greg, desperate to resolve the custody battle against Diana, agreed to go to the location specified by the investigator. The caller told him to drive to a dirt road near Avenida Soledad and Rancho Santa Fe Road in Carlsbad, and once there, he could pick up the package containing the evidence. The entire thing sounded sketchy to Greg, so as a precaution, he asked his co-worker, Jason Kovach, to go along with him. The two men drove to the area, and once they arrived, they parked their car and exited the vehicle. Kovach carried an aluminum child's baseball bat, given to him by Greg, for added protection. It was dark by that time, so they used a mountain bike light to look for the mystery package along what appeared to be a dirt hiking trail. They eventually saw the package taped to a power pole, but the investigator who called Greg wasn't at the location. As they walked towards the item, they noticed some rustling in the bushes and saw what looked like a person about 60 feet away, lying on their stomach, dressed in what appeared to be camouflage. And in the person's hand was a rifle and it was pointed directly at Greg and Kovach. Greg yelled, gun! The two men turned around and took off running back to the car while multiple shots rang out around them. When they got back in the car, Greg told Kovach, I think I've been shot. Kovach then called 911. Hello, this is 911. Yes, yeah. uh, my friend has just been shot. Do you know who shot him? There's a guy lying down like a sniper. A sniper? Did you see him at all? Briefly, we saw the, the gun, and he shot at us like six or seven times. We agree, he's bleeding pretty black. My friend's getting lightheaded. That's okay, I got paramedics in route, okay? Hold on, this is route. I got help out to you, okay? Paramedics arrived at the scene and took Greg to the hospital. He was rushed into emergency surgery where surgeons removed a single bullet under his armpit, which had narrowly missed his heart. Greg was then taken to a recovery room to rest and recover from his injuries. 
Authorities arrived at the hospital and began their questioning of Greg and Kobach about what had happened that night. The two men told the officers that they'd been attacked on a trail by what they thought was a sniper who was dressed in camouflage. Greg also told them that he and his ex-wife Diana were going through a contentious and expensive divorce and custody battle and that they'd had issue for years since their separation. He told them about Diana believing that their son had some sort of disease or illness, even when people would tell her otherwise. After hearing the recounting of events from Greg and Kovach, police believe they had an active shooter situation on their hands and began to cordon off the areas surrounding the crime scene. But after they obtained more information about the shooting from Greg and his friend, it began to sound like more of an intentional shooting rather than a random attack. At around 3 a.m. that same day, officers paid a visit to Diana's home to ask her a few questions. They told her about what had happened to Greg and that he'd been shot. Diana's reaction to their questions was odd, to say the least. Instead of being shocked or upset or saddened by the news, she was giggling. This odd behavior immediately tipped investigators off into believing that Diana may have been involved in the shooting. Investigators went to the location of the shooting, and although they were unable to find any shell casings or locate the shooter, they did locate a towel covered in feces. They sent the towel off to be analyzed for DNA. Up until that point, authorities had no real evidence that tied Diana to Greg's shooting. They looked into the phone that was used to make the anonymous call to Greg. They discovered that the phone was a burner phone, and its purchase was traced to a local Best Buy. In August 2016, police obtained the video footage from that particular Best Buy, showing the individual who had purchased the burner phone, and they were stunned. It was none other than Diana Lovejoy. During questioning by police, Diana was shown the video of her purchasing the phone. She admitted she did purchase it, but that it wasn't for her. Instead, it was for a man that she'd hired to scare her estranged husband, Greg Mulvihill, into giving her full custody of her son before their divorce would become final. She emphasized, though, that she would never hurt Greg. She told them that the man who she had allegedly hired was a local gun instructor named Weldon McDavid. Now that authorities knew about McDavid, they obtained a DNA sample from him and awaited the testing results against the feces-covered towel. When the results came back, they were a match to McDavid. A search warrant was then executed at McDavid's residence. In his home, investigators located the AR-15 that was later identified as the same gun used in the shooting. They also found other guns, as well as a silencer in McDavid's garage and a blast bag which contained seven spent shell casings. Cell phone tower data also placed McDavid and Diana near the hiking trail the night of the shooting. With the evidence now mounting up, McDavid was brought in for questioning. 
He denied everything. He denied knowing Diana and certainly denied shooting Greg. He insisted he was home that night, but when asked for an alibi, he refused to give them his phone. After detectives told him that they had DNA evidence connecting him to the scene, he then changed his story and told them that, oh yeah, he was at the same hiking trail, but was only there to go running. They asked him about the feces-covered towel, and he admitted that he used a towel that he said was just laying out there to wipe himself after he defecated. Detectives also conducted a search of Diana's home. In the home, they found towels matching the same towel found at the scene that had McDavid's DNA on it. Detectives continued to question Diana and McDavid, and they discovered that the two began planning to get rid of Greg in the summer of 2016, beginning with the purchase of the burner phone. Diana told McDavid that she'd come up with a plan to kill Greg and would pay him $2,000 for the murder. Now I know what you're thinking. Only $2,000? Seems a bit on the low side. But this was before inflation, so maybe the price point has gone up since then. McDavid had told Diana that he'd have a tactical advantage if the ambush of Greg could take place during the next moon, when he was sure it'd be completely dark outside. Diana then made an internet search to find the date of the new moon, which she found was going to be on September 1st, 2016. On the night of the shooting, she drove him to the hiking trail, which is why cell phone data had picked up their location. Following the discovery of this evidence, authorities arrested Diana and McDavid for conspiracy to commit murder and for the premeditated attempted murder of Greg Mulvihill. Everyone was shocked about the arrest, especially Greg. No matter how bad the divorce and custody battle had been, he just couldn't believe Diana would go so far as to try to have him killed. 44-year-old Diana Lovejoy and 50-year-old Weldon McDavid were tried together in the same courtroom with separate defense counsel. They both pled not guilty, denying the accusations. The state was represented by District Attorney Jody Breton. Attorney Brad Patton was the defense counsel for Diana, and Attorney Ricky Crawford was the defense counsel for Weldon McDavid. The three-week trial was presided over by Superior Court Judge Sim Vaughn Kalinowski. The prosecution stated that Greg was only three weeks away from receiving the $120,000 settlement from Diana as part of their divorce settlement and was set to share custody of their son. They outlined the evidence against the defendants. The DNA matched to McDavid, the cell phone data showing the defendants at the location the night of the shooting, the videotape of Diana purchasing the burner phone, and the matching of the weapon used in the shooting to McDavid. And in regards to the motive, they stated that Diana wanted sole custody of her son and that she was in dire financial trouble and did not want to pay Greg the $120,000 for his stake of the house. 
Greg Mulvihill, now fully recovered from his injuries, took the stand, testifying against his ex-wife and her lover. He testified about his and Diana's troubled divorce and issues with the custody of their son. He detailed his recollection of the night of the shooting and that he'd heard one gunshot and thought he'd been shot in his back. When he turned and ran from the gunfire, he heard six or seven shots several seconds later. After the second time of shining the light on it and staring at it for a second, I realized I was looking at a barrel and a scope of a gun. I could see Jason and he was probably 30 or so feet ahead of me heading back towards the car. And while we were running, I heard about six more rapid gunshots. Greg testified that his co-worker, Jason Kovach, was not injured. Diana chose not to take the stand in her own defense. Her defense attorney, Patton, told the court that Greg had threatened Diana by telling her that if she tried to get sole custody of their son, he would do something to her and that she was afraid of him. Patton told jurors that Greg and Diana had amicably settled their divorce three months prior to the shooting and that they shared 50-50 custody of their son. He told the jury that, quote, At no time was there a discussion, an agreement, a plan, a conspiracy to murder her husband. Patton explained that Diana had taken out a temporary restraining order against Greg because she claimed he was abusing her and their son. After the restraining order lapsed, Diana was still concerned about Greg, but did not discuss any type of conspiracy with anyone to murder him. McDavid opted to take the stand and testify in his own defense. He stated that he and Diana had a sexual relationship for two weeks, beginning in late June, and explained that Diana had vented to him about her custody battle with her soon-to-be ex-husband, telling him that she'd been trying for years to get someone to do something about Greg abusing their son. He was upset for her and told her that he would protect her and help her out with the custody battle. They both discussed this idea of luring Greg out to an area where McDavid could scare him, then Diana would get custody of her son. He didn't deny calling Greg that night to arrange the meeting, but testified that he was never asked to perform a violent act and never agreed to do so, and claimed that he was never offered money by Diana. In fact, he said that if Greg were not guilty of the abuse allegations, that he would not have shown up to try to obtain the evidence that night. He said that he chose the isolated dirt road because it was secluded, but not so secluded that it would discourage Greg from showing up at all. He stated that his plan was to get information from Greg that could be used against him in family court, but insisted that they never discussed hurting Greg. When asked if he tried to murder Greg, he said that he didn't attempt to murder him, but was rather simply trying to shoot the flashlight out of his hand. He stated, quote, the target I missed was a flashlight. I would not miss a man-shaped target from that distance. He said that he fired six shots in the air after he heard one of the men say they had a gun and stopped firing when the men began running. 
McDavid also stated that due to his training in the military, if he'd really intended to gun down Greg, he would not have missed the kill shot, saying, quote, I could hit that person's center mass 100 yards away without any problem. In District Attorney Jody Breton's cross-examination of McDavid, she said that his Marine training would have allowed him to see if Greg was in fact armed or not. She asked him if he'd checked the scope of his gun to see if Greg had a weapon as he was walking towards the pole. McDavid responded that he did not check before firing. The defense called several other witnesses to the stand. Vincent Kaiser, a Marine Corps gun expert, testified that he knew McDavid and said that he'd be capable of hitting a target at that range 10 times out of 10. Colleagues of McDavid's were also called to the stand, including Dr. Barry Redder, a pediatric dentist who knew McDavid for 10 years and had taken firearms classes from him. Redder stated that the two had used rifles and pistols during the classes and that he was certain that McDavid would not miss a target from 100 feet away. A veteran Marine, Christopher Lozano, testified that he knew McDavid through the School of Infantry at Camp Pendleton and said that McDavid was an expert-level shooter, even in conditions where there was very little to no light. But the state cross-examined Lozano and asked if it was possible that McDavid could have been out of practice. I mean, it was eight years ago that he'd served in the Marines. In addition, he could be less of an efficient shooter at night due to aging and poorer eyesight. Weldon McDavid's wife, Leah McDavid, was also called to the stand and testified about particular gun parts that she found in her home after her husband's arrest and after the search warrant was executed. She stated that she had no issues with multiple guns in her home. On November 13, 2017, the jury rejected the defense's argument, and after two days of deliberating, the verdict was read first for Diana Lovejoy. They found Diana guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and premeditated attempted murder. Verdict. We, the jury, in the above and title cause, find the defendant, Diana Jean Lovejoy, guilty of the crime of a attempted murder of Greg Mulvihill in violation of Penal Code Section 664-187, parent A, parent 1, as charged on count 2. We further find true the allegation that Diana Jean Lovejoy acted willfully, deliberately, and pre- with premeditation within the meaning of Penal Code Section 189. We further find true the allegation that Diana Jean Lovejoy was vicariously armed with a firearm within the meaning of Penal Code Section 12022, Paren A, Paren 1, dated 1113-17, signed four persons. As the verdict was being read, Diana looked wide-eyed over at her attorney in complete and utter disbelief. Then the sentence for McDavid was read, but before the court clerk could even get the verdict out for McDavid, Diana's eyes rolled back into her head and she slumped over in her chair. The bailiff and her attorney quickly grabbed her and helped her to the floor. Loud sobs and cries were heard in the courtroom and her immediate family yelled out for someone to help her. 
As Diana regained consciousness, her hands and feet were bound, and she was removed from the courtroom by emergency personnel. Diana was taken to a local hospital where she was examined, and the doctor said that she had simply fainted. During an interview with the TV show True Crime Daily, the prosecutor Jody Breton believed that the fainting spell was all an act. You can kind of see her head go back and her eyes go in the back of her head and she just slumps over. And it was a pretty loud, audible clunk when she hit her head on the table and then she kind of spills over onto the floor. I am skeptical because I just, again, she's somebody who will hire a person to kill her ex-husband. She's someone who will accuse her ex-husband of molesting and sexual assault. So I would not put it all past her. When she was brought back into court about a half hour later, she outwardly cried before speaking in court and still staunchly held on to her claims about her husband. I was sexually abused and I did. I witnessed my son be molested once and I did take all the steps I possibly could to ameliorate that situation. She said she felt she didn't have a voice during her trial and said that she was not capable of the crime of which she was convicted, saying, quote, I would never take my son's father away from him. I would never be able to do that. She then accused the detective who spearheaded the case of lying and talked about a family member who testified in the trial as being manipulative and horrible. At sentencing, Diana Lovejoy was given 26 years to life in prison. Weldon McDavid was also convicted of conspiring and attempting to murder Greg Mulvihill and, in addition, was convicted of intentionally discharging a firearm with intent to inflict great bodily injury. Before his sentencing, he also spoke in court and said that he disputed several pieces of testimony, which he hoped would be rectified during his appeal, and said, quote, the jury got it wrong. He finished his statement by saying, I did not intend to shoot Mr. Mulvihill. It was an aiming error, as I stated previously. There was no intent to kill. That's not who I am. I thought of my son growing up without a father. My father was killed. My father was killed when I was 24. And I still haven't gotten over that. I would not take a father from a child. McDavid received a harsher sentence of 50 years to life since he had fired the shot that wounded Greg. Following Diana's conviction, Greg Mulvihill regained full custody of his son. In December 2019, following a civil suit filed by Greg, a judge ruled that Diana and McDavid must both pay Greg more than $1 million in compensatory damages and also awarded him $500,000 in punitive damages. Diana Lovejoy thought she had the perfect plan. She thought she had it all figured out. She didn't want to give Greg $120,000 and she wanted full custody of her son. But her greed and her botched plan landed her and her lover in prison for decades. 
She is currently serving out her sentence in the Chowchilla Women's Prison in California. She'll be 64 years old when she'll be eligible for parole in 2036, and her son will then be 24 years old. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please visit our website at thecrimeshack.com. Your support and donations are what keep this podcast going. Also, be sure to connect with us on social media. All of our links to our socials are on our website. See you in the next episode. Thank you.